How do we make sense of biblical prophecies that are hard to understand? That's the question we're discussing today on the View of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me, as always, is Brian DeBozik, our managing editor. Brian! Yes. It's that time. It's it's time to talk about prophecies that make us scratch our head. That's right. That's right, because we, today, are beginning a look at the second half of the book of Daniel, beginning and ending, in fact. We're covering this whole thing in one session, one session of podcasting time. We're not going to go into all of it, of course. No, no. But it it is interesting how Daniel's kind of broken up into those two halves of there's that first half that, okay, these are narratives. We can get our arms around them for the most part. And then you get to chapter seven, and you're like, "What in the world is going on?" Right. Here? It's it's a bit odd because yeah. the whole tone of the of the book changes. I mean, yeah. the first six chapters of Daniel are pretty straightforward. They're pretty like they're pretty basic narrative. Well, I mean, with and it, visions and exactly. in between. But this but, is where it gets to be truly a pop apocalyptic yes. literature. It's hard to say for me to say that word. It is. But Revelation set up. Apocryphal. I almost, I almost did. Um, th- this, it's almost like Revelation as well. You yeah. Know, a lot of times we think, oh, Revelation is all just kind of these crazy symbols. It's no there, no, there's some chapters in there, especially early on, that are easier to read. And I mean, the chapters four and five, great pictures of worship. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the case when we come across this style of book where there's going to be some that we can kind of, all right, I get this. And then there's going to be some that just, again, makes us scratch our head. Yep. Yep. Well, and and we're dealing with some head scratching today. Yes, we are. So, uh, so as we mentioned, we are not going to be covering the entirety of chapters seven through twelve. Um, there's some elements that we're just going to do some quick hits on, but we're primarily going to focus on chapter seven. Yeah, and, and what we're going to yeah. talk about here, I think, gives a good framework for somebody to under to to try to understand the rest of it. And yeah, and I think it will give them a good framework of of what do we do with this. So yeah. hopefully, it's helpful for the the rest of the, of the book of Daniel. Right. Right, absolutely. So, uh, one thing we do want to we want to say specifically about why we're not going into detail about the rest of it is is because so much of what this these chapters deal with, um, with its its visions of the future, really has to do with, um, is because it has to do with that. It's what the what theologians call eschatology. Um, so, which is the technical term for our beliefs about the future, specifically the second coming of Christ, the final judgment of humanity, and the inauguration or the coming of the new creation. Um, so we're not addressing these issues in detail because, um, honestly, there's a lot of room for disagreement um, in how to understand and interpret these things. Um, and there's a lot of nuance that that is there and has to be there necessarily. There's a lot of different viewpoints on this. And and really, our, our belief that is that for the purposes of this podcast, at least, while those are while those are good and important discussions to have, um, for us to be effective in what we're trying to do here with um, with you all and to to be helpful for you um, who are listening to this, um, we feel it's best that we focus on what's clear as much as possible. So that's why we're talking about big ideas, um, essential truths, all these kind of things, um, rather than um, some of the nitty gritty specifics. So if you're really into that and 
Um, if you um, have a hobby that involves charts and graphs, uh, you're going to be disappointed by this episode. But if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're just hang tight. This exactly. Is so, um, so Brian, let's start with this question of where does this fall in the Bible's narrative? Well, I have a chart and a graph behind me that illustrates this. Oh, good. I was hoping you did. <laughs> no. So this uh, this occurs again, and we're in the middle of, of the book of Daniel. And through the first six chapters, it has followed somewhat of a chronological, again, a narrative feel. Uh, this is where it starts to break from that. There's still a chronology at play, but it's not the narrative nature of the right. first part of it. And Daniel is uh, this this vision that we're looking at today in, in chapter seven comes in the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar, who has followed King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it's probably either his son or his grandson. Uh, and again, we've met Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter five earlier right. in the book of Daniel, which which, by the way, is just such a wild and cool passage there with uh, the the this hand, this disembodied hand yes. that appears out of nowhere and writes this message on the wall and then disappears. And none of them have any idea what it means. And it's all because the king and his and his crew are partying with the with the instruments of from the temple of God. And so they're drinking. So they're they're getting hammered you, uh, with goblets from the temple. <laughs> and if you've watched uh, the Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, and the Last Crusade uh-huh. movie, you know that's not a good thing to mess around with. Those it's kind of cups. generally not a good idea. It, it'll true. make you shrivel and melt away. It's kind of like what happens when you find the Ark of the Covenant, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, and that makes your face melt. That's true. That's true. Drinking from the cup made him like age. Yeah, he yeah, aged it, rapidly. it made him age yeah. rapidly. Um, all of these things are not actually what would happen if you found any of these <laughs> things. Um, it is very important for us to mention that we are just <laughs> making a joke. Our, so our tongue is implanted in our cheeks firmly. Yes, firmly. All right. So back back to where this is. So so King Belshazzar is now king, and unlike. Daniel's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, where he was more of a trusted advisor, yeah. he is not at this point. But he has this this vision that we're going to look at in, mm-hmm. in chapter seven of of this statue of four part, or the, I'm sorry, these four beasts yeah. here, and this this crazy kind of what are these beasts? What do they symbolize? They're kind of some recognizable features about them, but they're not, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we get here in chapter seven. We're going right. to kind of camp out. Right, yeah, um, but there is a really fun Christmas tie-in in chapter eight, um, and so one of the things that we see there is, is that um, Daniel has this other vision um, that all of these visions that uh, follow the same basic thrust. They're all telling him essentially the same thing, um, just repeated, um, and with some slightly different imagery each time. But um, in this vision that he has in Daniel 8, he sees this and he's confused. And there's this voice that says, explain to him what this means. And um, the the being that explains it to him is an angel named Gabriel. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds familiar. It does, because this is the same angel who shows up. Um, at the beginning of the New Testament, um, in, and we meet him in a couple of books, in fact, in the book of Luke 
and in Zechariah. Or sorry, not Zechariah. Um, that's who he talks to. Exactly. <laughs> um, but we meet him in Luke and we meet him in Matthew. And he talks to a couple of people. He talks to Zechariah um, while he's serving in the temple um, and tells him that he's going to have a son named John. And he's announcing that God's plan to rescue and redeem his people is 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 about to begin um, and that his and then he gets to be a part of it. Um, and of course, we know that he doesn't believe him and he gets to be quiet for nine months uh, for his trouble. Um, and so. We have that happen. He also appears to to this young young girl named Mary, um, and he said, and he calls her the you know the most highly favored of God, and that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah, Jesus. And then he also speaks to Joseph, her her betrothed and then husband, um, because he didn't know what to believe about all of this, and he says, no, seriously, this is this is legit. She's not she's not making things up. She's having a baby and it's and it is from God. So um, and so encourages her to marry her. So Gabriel shows up here and he's one of the only name angels that we mm-hmm. see named in all of Scripture. In fact, there's only two. He and Michael. That's right. And Michael's an interesting one on top of that. So um, <laughs> so um, but but that's just a fun fact that uh that I couldn't resist sharing with you all. Um, so especially with the holidays coming up real fast. So um, there we go. So um, as we look at this passage, though, as we look at, at Daniel chapter 7 specifically, what are some questions we should be asking of it as we as we seek to study and understand it? Well, I think the first one we turn around what you said a minute ago about why we're not going to focus uh, podcast episodes on the bulk of, of Daniel, I think we need to turn that around and say, why should we study passages like this at all? Mm-hmm. You know, why should somebody listening to this read Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, and so forth? Yeah. Why not just skip over it? I mean, it's hard. It's um, it, You can't really understand it fully. Why do that? And I think the reason is, uh, even if, if it's unclear what is said here, and, and again, it's not completely unclear. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to talk about it. we we can we can understand it to a degree. Yeah, uh, whether we can understand it fully or not is is to be decided. But even if we can't, what we need to understand is um, that God gave us this so that we can understand at least in part what's going to happen. And I think these give us great confidence. Even if we can't figure out what's going on, God knows and he's in control of the future. We can rest comfortably with full confidence that God is bringing to pass what he wills. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know this is so important in Scripture. You're just talking about, you know, we're in the middle of, of the Christmas season right now. This is what he was communicating to people in the Old Testament. I'm in control. I'm going to bring to pass what I want to happen, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that deliver. You will not provide deliverance and rescue from sin. I will. I'm sovereign. And and that's why we study passages like this to remind us of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, one of the other things that we should be asking about this, and it's kind of a twofold thing, um, because this first question really feeds into the next, which is um, first, who or, who or what do the beasts represent? And with that, have the events of the, in this vision already come to pass. And so I'm going to answer that first one by answering the second one, um, because the answer is yes-ish. 
So um, one of the things that we should always remember about biblical prophecy, particularly about how it affects the future, is is that there is a fulfillment that's in is typically a fulfillment in mind um, within within somewhat of an immediate future ishness. So whether that's the span of a few hundred years um, or a few thousand or or whatever. So in this case, um, there may have been in what what God may have been showing Daniel um, may have had to do with the Babylon the Babylonian Empire. It had typically most most commentators understand that it has to do with four kingdoms. Yes, four um, empires, four, four kingdoms. Four empires, four kingdoms. Succeeding one another. Right. And the and the interpretation of the vision in the passage says as much as that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't say specifically which ones. So commentators looking at looking back at history um, tend to identify these four kingdoms in the immediate fulfillment as the Babylonians, the, the Medo-Persians who came after them, the Greeks who came after them, and then the Romans um, as being those kingdoms. However, there, there's an interesting facet with, with many of these kind of prophecies is, is that there's a greater fulfillment to come and um, that there are echoes and shades of this that, that ripple throughout history. Um, and so we see we see these kinds of events play out again and again and again, um, leading up to something else. Um, I think that's a fair way to as about yeah. as fair and careful a way as we can put it as possible. Um, is that f- yeah? And I think we're going to circle back around this. We're you know when we get to some of our our final questions, we're going to kick around today. Yeah. Of what do we do with this? And and as we think about teaching it or talking about it, discipling. So let's just hold. Let's yeah. We'll come back to this. What should we do with kind of what what you were just dancing around there? Yes. And I think that dancing is important. I don't think it's wrong. To, I, I think it's what we need to do. It's we're gonna kind of affirm in a minute. Wait, did you just affirm that we that dancing is okay? Oh my goodness. Yes, because it's in the Bible. Oh, okay. There we go. We're fine. All right. <laughs> just so, biblical dancing. <laughs> okay, biblical dancing. That's good. So, um, so the one question. So there is another question that we should be asking of this though, which is the question we should be asking of every passage that we study in scripture, which is how does it point us toward Jesus? And so this one is really great because it's just such a layup um, here. And it's it's so much so that I can use a sports reference I understand. <laughs> so the, the layup, um, you understand the layup? I, I, I understand I, the gist of it. I can't make one, but I understand it. Oh, no, it. no, me neither. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but this one, I mean, we have in this passage, in specifically in verses 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7, we have the, the place where Jesus takes his most commonly used name for himself from. Um, he frequently refers to himself as the Son of Man. Yes. Um, and so um, just as a side note, to anyone who thinks that Jesus never identified himself as, as God, um, this passage just proves that Wait, wrong. And, and that's, yeah, and that's really important. Let's say this as well, because I've heard some people believe when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, it was emphasizing his humanity. That's incorrect. Mm-hmm. When he's using Son of Man, he's drawing back to Daniel here. And as we can see, this is a divine um, attribute. This is, this yes. is, we have got God in mind here. Yep. This also connects to Revelation. It does. Which we, we talked about it a does. minute ago. Now, now listen to this. Uh, this is 13 and 14. I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man 
was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So right there, let's pause mm-hmm. as we think back to those four creatures and the kingdoms that they represent. And, and part of us wants to so much identify them clearly mm-hmm. and, and tie a nice bow on it. Here's the bigger idea. Again, is it worth thinking about that? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. But must we definitively define them? No. Not even a little. Because the big idea here is unlike those kingdoms, whatever they were that passed away, this is the contrast that God has a kingdom that's lasting. So that's that's the big idea. Yes. I just wanted to make sure it was clear yes. before we keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an important point. Um, so when we see Jesus, um, when we when when we talk about this pointing us to Jesus, it's really important that Jesus himself not he didn't simply use the the term son of man as a reference to himself. Um, he uses this language throughout the New Testament and most clearly um, in uh, at his trial in the time leading up to it, um, he actually references, makes makes distinct allusions to this passage in Matthew 26, 64, Mark 13, 26, and 14, 62, and in Luke 21, 27. He says that the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven and reveal his glory. Um, and he's talking about himself because it's the only time he directly answers the question about his identity to the people who've been asking him it for um, between 18 months and three years. Um, at that point um, in his ministry, and it's when they're about to kill him. <laughs> um, he says, congratulations, you're right. This is who I am. You can you can now take me to, to the cross <laughs> and crucify me. Um, kind of dark, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, so, but this is, this is that thing. It's like the, but the imagery in Daniel, in, in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, it's very much that this is a divine being, that this is not simply, yes. simply a, a human being. Um, you know, just including that word like is important. Um, like in literary terms is a what, Brian? Simile? Correct. Correct. So they're making it so in the vision, we're being given a comparison. <laughs> so not a human being, but one like a human being, one who had the form of a human being. Who do we know who is fully divine, who has an everlasting kingdom, who has the form, who who has in bodily form, um, who looks like a human being? Jesus? Correct. Man, I'm two for two. There you go. There you go. Um, and... That's important because what this what this reminds us of, what this passage reminds us of is this truth that Jesus is the, is the one to whom all authority um, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, um, all authority belongs. Jesus is the one who has an everlasting kingdom. He is the, because he's the one who purchased it through his death and resurrection. So uh, and people of every language, every nation, um, every 
every skin color, every ethnicity, every whatever you want to think, <laughs> um, all people from everywhere will serve him. People from all everywhere and all types will serve him. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That is like, I don't think you can get any clearer on a foreshadowing of Jesus than this. Aside from him holding up a sign that says, <laughs> hi, I'm Jesus. <laughs> well, even that would have been missed by some people. This and, is true. And, and again, this goes back to why do we study this? Not only because it's it's giving us that glimpse of, of the future we talked about a minute ago, but again, we see here this this clear picture of Jesus that, that makes it so worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Brian, let's uh, think about this, this passage from the perspective of one person who's discipling another or a group of another's. So um, could be someone who's leading an adult small group um, in student ministry, kids ministry, one-on-one um, -on -one discipleship, families, whatever. Um, what kind of guidance can we offer in working through this passage? I think the first one, this is where we're going to go back to what I mentioned a minute ago when, when you were kind of Baptist dancing around what these kingdoms were. Mm, thank you. Um, <laughs> This is, this is where we, we want to be careful not to get a, caught up in some of the details, especially what I would argue are secondary details at the expense of the primary ones. So mm. here's the thing. If you're teaching on this, you're discipling. I mean, you're, you're sitting at a coffee shop talking about this passage with someone. You've got a limited time. And uh, if, you're, if you get bogged down here in what these kingdoms are and you pull out your charts and so forth and... Uh, you you likely will not get to to the the greater part of this passage what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So, and also, I mean, if if you try to make everything fascinating, then nothing is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, in my estimation, we are better off to reserve that aha moment, that wow moment, for when it really matters more. So, don't be afraid. Talk about these kingdoms and say, hey, they may have been. Mm -hmm. These four kingdoms, and, and isn't that great that that God He brought that to pass? We can believe. I'm yeah. not saying don't go there. Yeah, I'm saying don't camp there, especially at the expense of trying to uh, to tickle ears. Yes, when we get to Jesus here later, that's what I want resonating with somebody. I want them yeah. walking away from this passage saying, "Yes, I see Jesus here," rather than I've got four kingdoms figured out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And on that note, our second piece of advice is don't get weird. And so um, by that, I mean, um, don't go in, don't go adding details that aren't there or trying to explain how um, how all of this is happening right that right now as though there is a precise one to one correlation. Um, so. A simple way to think about it is think about how um, how a lot of folks in the 70s and 80s um, were were trying to interpret the the locusts in Revelation as Black Hawk <laughs> helicopters and, and stuff like this or how today you often see on blogs and, you know, and in books that we would never publish or carry at Lifeway today. Um you know, talking about which political leader is the man of lawlessness um, or the blaspheming king that that appears in this passage, all these kind of things. So that's what we mean by don't get weird. So, I, yeah. I, that's a, yes, that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think one other thing is, again, just to drive this home, 
we need to point people back to the hope of this vision, the hope that the Son of Man offers. Again, that, that's that's why we have this. The, the, yes, it should give us great comfort. We said this a minute ago. It should give us great comfort that God is in. He's sovereign over the nations. He's sovereign over the future. But why that gives us great comfort is because we see Christ, the gospel here. That's why the future gives us hope. That's why we find that comfort. And for us, especially believers, we know we live in the midst of a of a of a culture of a kingdom that will not stand, and that often stands against us and against, more importantly, Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, we know what's in store is a kingdom coming that Christ will reign over forever, where He is victorious, where He is central. Uh, where there is no more sin, there's no more um, uh, rejection of him and so forth. That's what we are waiting for. That's the hope. That's mm-hmm. what we want to continually point people to. Yeah. Yeah. And Brian, that's a great place for us to, to leave off for this episode. So uh, listeners, thanks for uh, joining us for today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.